This reading is called Beloved is Where We Begin by Jan Richardson. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave hearing without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger and thirst, from the scorching of the sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name. Beloved, beloved, beloved. So this is the story of how I deepened my relationship with Unitarian Universalism by learning to love our Christian roots. And before I begin, I will say everyone has their own journey of faith and they are all valid and real stories. And I love yours and yours and yours. And today I share mine with you, not because I want it to become yours, but because our stories and our journeys shape us. And so I know that in this story you may not see your own reflected, but that's because it's my own story and I'm only living one person's life. And one of the things that I love the most about my job is that I get to hear your stories too, and I hope you will share them with me. So this is my story. In my first semester in college, I remember complaining to my mom on the phone, Mom, everyone here is the same age as me. It's so boring. <laughs> I had been transplanted to Boston, and I had come from being immersed in my childhood church. I was the only youth my age there, but that was really okay for me. I had peers, age peers at school, and at church I staffed the nursery. I babysat for those same kids in the nursery whose moms were all close friends with my mom. And the, these women were mentors to me who trusted me with their children, whose kids I mentored. And I had real relationships with people who were in different life stages with me. And even at the time, I, I knew that that was something special. Growing up in that same Unitarian Universalist church, I also got the message that there were some things you just don't talk about in church. God, for instance. <laughs> also the Bible. Sex and politics were just fine, of course. So I'm curious, how many people here were raised Unitarian Universalist? Okay. And how many were raised uh, Christian or Catholic? And how many were raised Jewish or Muslim or another faith? And non-practicing without religious tradition? Awesome. I'm a, an amateur researcher here. So we, we roughly resemble national UU averages. 
Some studies have shown that only about 10% of adults currently attending Unitarian Universalist churches were raised in our faith. So what that meant for me growing up, in the specific church I grew up in and at the time that I was growing up, was that many of the adults that I grew up in, grew up with in church, had left another religious tradition for some reason or another, and they often carried hurts with them, hurts that they did not want to be reminded of. And before I go on to tell you about my own spiritual journey around this, I want to make two disclaimers. The first is that Unitarian Universalist culture has shifted significantly in our ability to, to use language of faith around God and the holy since my own formative years of church. And the second is that this congregation, EUAC Sherborne, and I would not say it if it were not true, this congregation has an ability to be hospitable to a diversity of theological expressions in a way that is truly mature and unique. I see you, all of you, all the time, trying your hardest to be really open-hearted to the idea that music and language that does not speak personally to you is deeply moving to another person in this sanctuary. And it's one of the many, many reasons that I love this congregation, but it really, truly is a gift that you offer to one another. It really is. So with those disclaimers, about who I'm actually talking about here. <laughs> I grew up in a church with, my, with a great love for community and a very clear and strong message that we did not believe in the Bible, and specifically that we were better and smarter and more evolved than people who took the Bible literally. And I got that message because many of the adults in my community had been really deeply hurt by people who used this book as a weapon and not as a source of wisdom. And that's a real hurt. But the effect of some of these messages that I got as a child that you don't talk about God or the Bible in church was that I felt alienated from the spiritual roots of my own religion, that I didn't know how to pray, I didn't have any particularly meaningful religious rituals or practices in my life on a regular basis. My own language of faith felt stunted because words about prayer and God and Faith and ritual and belief, they felt awkward and clumsy in my mouth. I didn't know how to talk about it. And I loved Unitarian Universalism. And I knew it had a deep and beautiful and meaningful theology and roots. But I felt like I couldn't really access what those were without knowing the language or the long view of tradition and ritual. And so to solve this particular problem, when I decided that I wanted to become a UU minister, I chose to go to a historically Christian theological school. And I went to a Christian seminary on purpose because I needed to know more about the spiritual roots of the religious tradition that I have called home my whole life. I went to a Christian seminary because I wanted to know the rhythms and the liturgy and the rituals and the practices that my ancestors, the Unitarians and the Universalists, had been in conversation with. I wanted to better know the stories that Unitarians and Universalists had used as the very foundation for this faith. And I went to a Christian seminary because I longed to know deep in my bones that I was part of a story that was older than me, older than anyone I had ever met. Because I find it deeply comforting still to know that I don't have to figure it all out by myself and that other people have been searching for answers to these same questions for millennia that I am part of something so much bigger than my own life or my own lifetime, this search for meaning that we humans are engaged in. 
And so to do this, I looked to my, own religion, to my religion's own roots to f try to understand how to make sense of my own life and look toward the future. To remember that this was here long before me and will be here long after me. So this all brings me to why I love the season of Lent. Growing up, I always understood Lent as the time when my Catholic best friends wouldn't eat meat on Fridays. That was basically my very limited understanding of it. Or that sometimes it would involve the infamous giving things up, which did not sound very fun to me as a kid. It sounded very punishing, grounded in the idea that we humans are inherently sinful, and it can still sound that way. If Lenten practices are based in the idea that we must transcend our quote-unquote sinful earthly bodies to be made holy. And so it wasn't until I was in this Christian seminary that I began to seriously engage in trying to understand what wisdom Lent could hold for me as a Unitarian Universalist. Lent is the time of preparation between, for the preparation for the great feast of Easter, the six weeks between Ash Wednesday, which is this past Wednesday, and Easter. It remembers the time when, between when Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan by John the Baptist and when he began his public ministry, knowing that he would be met with both belief and betrayal and knowing that he needed a holy clarity about his purpose in order to be able to see it through. And the reason that I am finding, that I find such deep meaning in Lent, and I'm finding it especially this year, I'll be honest, is that Lent remembers those 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness before the joy of Easter. Because before deep joy, before promise, the promise of hope and resurrection that Easter brings in the Christian tradition, before that joy comes a time in the wilderness, a time of feeling lost, of feeling alone, of feeling frightened, of wrestling with demons inside you or around you, a time of struggle, a time of wondering, how did I get here and what am I doing here? Jan Richardson, who wrote The Blessing in today's reading, also writes, what are you doing here? That's the question that the desert gives us, isn't it? What are you doing here? Not just what are you doing in this physical place, but also what are you doing here in this life? Sometimes it takes going into the wilderness of body or soul to find the answer to this question. Traveling toward where the familiar contours of our lives disappear. Leaving the landmarks behind, the people and patterns and possessions that orient us. And that's where Jesus goes, she writes. Surfacing from the waters of his baptism, he doesn't fling himself into his ministry. He doesn't take up the work among the community that will meet him with both belief and betrayal. He first goes to the place where everything is stripped away, and he confronts the basic questions about who he is and what he is doing. So what are you doing here? At the outset of the Lenten journey, why are you where you are? What do you need from the 40-day place that this season offers? Is there a wilderness that you need to enter with your body or with your soul or with both in order to gain clarity at this point in your life? What might that look like? What stories could you draw on, lean on, take heart from as you contemplate this? 
She continues, removing ourselves from at least some of our usual routines for moments or for months can shift the way that we view our life. It doesn't often require taking ourselves to a literal wilderness in the manner that Jesus did. But his sojourn there reminds us that there is wisdom in knowing when to toward toward a place or a person or a practice that can help us see what we cannot always see under our own power. This wisdom lies at the heart of Lent. These days challenge us to take on a practice or give one up so that we can look at our lives in a different way. And Jesus knew going into the barren and uncomfortable places isn't about proving how holy we are. It isn't about proving how tough or how brave. It's about letting God draw us into the place where we don't know everything, don't have to know everything. Indeed, may be emptied of nearly everything we think we know. And thereby, we become free to receive the word, the clarity, the wisdom about who we are and what we are called to do. Wilderness times can deepen clarity when it strips away that which does not matter and gets down to the bare essentials. Wilderness times are not easy journeys, but in them we can often find meaning and focus. There is often the wilderness of times we did not seek, of personal struggle, of divorce or death or loss, of depression or addiction or national tragedies or violence. And I will say that as I try to make sense of my dad's death just four weeks ago, I find myself in a wilderness time, well-timed for Lent, disoriented to the life I knew, surrounded by what feels like unfamiliar landscapes, trying to make meaning. And for others, there is a wilderness of things that were sought after, new parenthood, sometimes divorce, new paths that we discerned and chose, but that are still disorienting, still push us to really ask, what am I doing here? And I think that is what the practice of giving something up or taking on a new practice is trying to do in Lent, to help us strip away the things that get in the way of our clarity, to help us make really good use of that wilderness time, to gain clarity to what matters most and to and to connect to the promise that after the wilderness comes hope. And not optimism, but hope. It helps us to say, not this, not this, not this, so that we can then say, yes, this. This is what really matters. And with this framing of going into the wilderness, of doing the hard and sometimes heartbreaking spiritual work that it requires, to strip away those things that sometimes cause us to miss the mark. Allow me to read you the blessing once again, our reading today. Thinking about whatever wilderness or struggle you might find yourself facing in your life. Jan Richardson again. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That's what this journey is for. 
I cannot promise that this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid on only a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name, beloved, beloved, beloved. Beloved, we all have our own wilderness journeys to go on, but you do not go into the wilderness without first hearing this. You are beloved. You will have help on your journey. It will not be easy. You will not be free from fear or danger. But strange graces will come to you that can only come on a road such as this. You were named by beloved by one who has traveled this path before. And may you use this time to find what really matters. And so, my beloved, I tell you all of this because I look to people who have traveled this path before. Not only this path of grief and loss, but the path of life, all of the things that I have had to discern in my life or choose or figure out. From those pieces of practical discernment, housing, jobs, relationships, to spiritual questions of meaning and call and purpose. I have found that I need help from those who have walked this path before, and so I look to the ancestors, spiritual ancestors who have asked the same hard questions, and I find myself coming back to Lent, to this church, to this multi-generational community, because I find that I need to learn from and pass on our traditions through the generations. Traditions for celebrating, for discerning, for grieving, for remembering. For answering those ultimate questions that I cannot answer by myself. Because I need to be, need to be reminded all the time that I am part of a larger story. That this was here long, long before I got here and will be here long after I am gone. Remember that you are stardust and to stardust you shall return. But in between, we seek to build meaningful lives, to pass the stories along, generation to generation. So thank you, beloved, for being part of this story with me. Amen. <laughs>